Sometimes the most dangerous things in life are the things you can't see. In this sermon series from Table Church, we're identifying some of those invisible enemies that want to take away your joy. Things like narcissism, greed, and isolation. So join us as we learn how to combat these enemies of the soul. And as always, feel free to reach out to us at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Bella Wiseman, and the scripture reading for today is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and 11 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measures of the fullness of Christ. Good morning and welcome to Table Church. It is great to have you here today. Uh, my name is Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor. And I'm having a moment because my hands are so cold that I can't unlock my iPad, uh, which has my sermon on it. And so it's just, you know, it's just not working. So what are we going to do about this? I mean, I could use my phone. It's got about 5% battery on it. I'm just going to talk to you with my hand in my pocket for a little bit. So it warm it up. It's cold in here. Okay, so as I do this, I want to let you guys know that um, it's not too late to go to Zambia. If you, have, if you um, heard about us, talk about it a few months ago. So we have a missions partner in Zambia called Poetis International, and uh, we love them. We just went this last summer. It was incredible. And I would love for you to come. If you're like on the fence, let me just take this opportunity to push you off the fence, just like a good hard shove, right? Like, you are on the ground in the dirt on the other side of the fence right now because of that. Like, I want you to go to Zambia. And you know what? If you're just thinking about it and just want to learn more about what it might be like, um, please come to our, uh, our informational meeting. I don't know the date off the top of my head. I think it's up here. Yeah, 6 o'clock Ministry Center, December 11th. Just write Zambia on your connection card, and we will be in touch with you about that. Just write Zambia, and we will get a hold of you. Uh, but we're going next summer. It's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to have you there. Yeah, seriously, I'm not sure what to do right now. I cannot unlock this iPad. Any tech geniuses in the crowd got any ideas for me? That didn't work. Yeah, come try. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. This isn't my iPad, so it's okay. No, it's not your hand. Oh, it's my iPad. I'm going to shut this thing off. Yeah, nothing's, nothing's working. Nothing's working. Okay. You work on this. Let me know if you get it figured out. I got this. So um, let me open up my Google Docs here. Um, so, 
Yeah, come to the Zambia meeting. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's go. In, two, in the year 2000, Robert Putnam, he's a um, sociologist. He wrote a study uh, called Bowling Alone. And in this book, uh, he talked about, well, the, the, the title is actually a little bit self-explanatory. It's a study of American culture. And, and what he's found is that Americans are increasingly isolated from one another more and more. Okay, even to the, to the, the effect that we, we are not joining bowling leagues anymore. We're bowling alone. Like that's one of the trends that he thought was significant is like people are just going bowling by themselves now. And so he says that cultures have what's called social capital. Social capital uh, is this is the networks that we build in order to work together to build society. And some indications of social capital include things like voter turnout, uh, civic participation, religious organizations, that kind of thing. Social capital was increasing in America until the 1970s when it took a complete nosedive. And here's what he says. He says, for the first two-thirds of the 20th century, a powerful tide bore Americans into ever deeper engagement in the life of their communities. But a few decades ago, silently without warning, that tide reversed and we were overtaken by a treacherous rip current. Now that treacherous rip current is nothing less than the isolating of Americans from one another. Look, we don't collaborate like we used to. We don't engage civically like we used to. We don't have discourse in the public square like we used to. You know, we all just kind of sit by ourselves, have our opinions, and lob them out into the world. Who cares what anyone says or thinks? Like, all these sorts of social capital is rapidly decreasing. And you know what? In the last two years, it's gotten worse. I was talking to a guy who volunteers for our, our tutoring ministry, Rise Up, and um, He's a psychologist, and, and I was talking about his practice with him, and of course he says, you know, they're overwhelmed with, with need right now. Um, and, and he says, you know, honestly, one of the things I say the most to people is uh, you just need to go outside and be with people. Like, you just need, oh, thank you. Miracle. How, did, how, how did you do it? I'm glad, because this is going to die. I don't know what we do then. So anyway, he would say to people, you know, one of the most important things you probably do for your mental health is just to be with other human beings. Like, you just need to be with other people, he said. So we, uh, we finished the series today. Uh, the series we're in is called Enemies of the Soul, and we looked at things like narcissism, we looked at things uh, like greed, and today we're going to talk about something a little different. It's an enemy of the soul that isn't, I think, addressed enough, probably because it's becoming more and more a concern, and I think we're in a day right now where it's um, probably at an all-time high as far as the concern goes, and that is the, the enemy of isolation, isolation. And I picked this topic instead of maybe more predictable ones like pride or lust because I think that there's a, a, a particular sense in which it is encroaching upon us uh, in a unique and unforeseen way in our culture. And I, and I think it's made its way into table church. I really do. And so I, I want to talk about this enemy of, of isolation today because I think it's important. But here's the real danger. It's that isolation is becoming normalized. Isolation is becoming normalized. More and more, we not only want to be alone, but it's kind of just the way it is. Like we want to work from home and in fact, you know, companies are more and more pressured to, to give that option. 
Uh, we want to watch the service online, you know, instead of coming in person. We just want to meet on Zoom instead of in person. Uh, and, you know, I want to be clear, these innovations aren't bad in and of themselves. They allow us to do lots of things we couldn't do before in some unique ways. They build social capital in certain areas. But it's also important to recognize the potential dangers of this. Isolation is leading to increased spiritual and mental health problems. Increased spiritual and mental health problems. The main point of Ephesians is to make clear this fact that the God of Israel is bringing non-Israelites into community with the Israelites in his plan of redemption. And so really the book of Ephesians, what you just heard Bella read, it's all about this Paul. In fact, not just Ephesians, almost all of his letters uh, are are, like, like he's fighting this battle against this theology that excludes people. He's trying to say, no, God has done something new and now more and more people are going to be included in the people of God. And so This message that God is bringing non-Israelites into his plan of redemption was a shocking truth for many people to hear. We're used to it today. Of course, God loves everybody. Everybody can know Jesus, right? Like, that's not how it used to be. There was some people that had some very strong ethnic boundaries, and if they want to be part of us, then they have to do the things that we do, and the customs, and the rituals, and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul's writing this letter, and people are not having it to a certain degree, And it created some serious conflict along ethnic lines. And so when Paul writes Ephesians, part of his main goal is to do, honestly, what we might today call something analogous to racial reconciliation. That's what he's trying to do. Now, as we know today, this can be a difficult topic to discuss for some people. We've learned this particularly in the last few years, predominantly white church, right? Like we've seen now just how challenging this conversation can be. We don't have this conversation very well. We need to do better at this conversation. Paul knows that in this day, it's still tough. In his day, it was still tough. So he's, he's literally he's stretching the language uh, in order to like, share these incredible truths of just how magnificent it is that God has done these things. He's like stretching the limits of language in order to demonstrate just the magnificence of God extending his grace to all people. Listen to what he says in chapter one. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. He goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. As he's talking about God's love is just lavished on us, like this overflowing, overwhelming amount of love from God. And then he says, look, you've done nothing to earn it. It's simply a gift. That's the word for grace. It is by grace you've been saved. God's just giving it to you, not because of who you are or what you've done. He's just giving it to you for free. And then he brings it home in the second half of chapter two with one of the most powerful statements on biblical reconciliation you're ever going to find. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So you see, God's vision here is to create in himself one new humanity. And for Paul, this is what the cross was for. It was to forge a new humanity, to break down all of the artificial barriers we put between one another and to say, no, now in Christ we are all one. 
And I think it's incredible to, to realize, like, listen, for Paul, reconciliation can't happen without the gospel. Like, the cross is the crucial thing that destroys the things that we use to put between ourselves. You can't have it without the gospel for Paul. It can only happen by the cross. And so what I think we're learning here is that for Paul, the community, the community is not just important for the gospel. You don't just, it's not just helpful to have a community, you know? It's not, it's not like a handy thing to have on your walk towards Christ. Like, no, he's saying this, the community, the gospel can't make sense outside of community. Like, that was one of the central things that the, that the, that the cross accomplished, was, was bringing these two groups and making them one. The gospel can't make sense outside of community. Seriously, try to, what's one of the central facets of the gospel is forgiveness, right? Try to live that out by yourself. Like, the gospel cannot be embodied alone. It doesn't make sense outside of community. So we just read the gospel is about the fact that through the lordship of Christ, God is bringing a new people into existence. Like that implies community. You can't be part of a people without other people. And then uh, Paul drives home how much we need each other at the end of the passage today that Bella read. Uh, see, verses 11 through 13, it says this. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. Notice here, a lot of times when we think about what, what's spiritual maturity, we think about it in terms of head knowledge, things that you know, right? Like I know Bible verses, I know doctrines, that kind of thing. What, what's the marker of maturity, maturity for Paul here? He says, until we all reach unity in the faith. And then he goes on to say, and knowledge. So yes, knowledge is part of it. But knowledge of what? Knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, it's a relational kind of knowledge. Like, I know, you know how tall my wife is, but that's not important. I know my wife. That's the kind of knowledge he's talking about, the relational kind of knowledge. And so spiritual maturity is a matter of, of relationship of how we act in relationship to one another. Isn't that something? In other words, it's not stretching to say that my, uh, the Bible teaches that my spiritual growth is in your hands. Like, I need you to attain the fullness of Christ. You need me, and we need each other, okay? Like, we're talking here like, uh, you know, like Steve Everly uh, needs Ken, and Ken needs Ryan Zanting, and Ryan needs Kelly. Like, we need each other in order to achieve the fullness of Christ. In short, if you don't have the community, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have maturity in Christ. You just don't. To grow in Christ, you need others, and others need you. Now, if you're an introvert like me, you'd rather be alone on the couch of the book because people are annoying, you know what I mean? Here's my advice. Deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Yeah, I know. People are annoying. Guess what? That's part of the point. 
yeah, it's, it's a lot of work to get together with people. I know, that's part of the point, you know? Like when people are obnoxious, when people offend you, when people step on your toes, then you, you know what you have to do? You have to decide in your heart, am I going to hold this against them or am I going to, ooh, forgive them? Am I going to orient my life around myself or am I going to try to orient myself around other-centered love? You can't do that if you know no other people around. And so, yeah, the, the things that we tend to not like about being with people are, in a funny way, the point. That's the thing that we need. But there's so much more than that. People aren't always just annoying, are they? People are also amazing. People are the ones that we love. People are the ones that love us. People are the ones that are there for us when we need them. Listen, I hope that in 20 years, you know, like we're all old and retired or something. How old am I? Are we retired in 20 years? Um, no, not quite. <laughs> Preachers never retire. So, like, we're going to be old, right? And, 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 and we're going to be, allowed, like, you're going to have a whole lot more history as a church, and hopefully more people will have come, and we're going to have a whole lot more history, and we're going to remember the time that that happened to this person, and, and this happened to me, and they were there for me in this. And we're going to have this shared history, this story, this narrative that's ours. And that creates a people, a family. But you can't have that if we're not together. You can't have that if we kind of float in and out, keep things at an arm's length, you know? And this is what Paul's trying to forge in almost all of his New Testament letters among his people. In Philippians, the word unity is like every other word. Like he's constantly talking about how they need to be unified. Why? Because it is this group identity that's going to hold them together through the trials and the storms of life. The community is so central to the gospel. You need others and others need you. Neuroscience is demonstrating what Paul seems to have intuitively known already, is that we need each other in order to be healthy. Most of us know that the brain kind of has two sides. You've got the left brain and the right brain. Well, apparently I'm, re- I'm no brain scientist, but what I've read is that analytical processes formulate on the left brain, in the left brain, relational processes formulate in the right brain. Now, we live in like the post-Enlightenment modern West which means that we tend to elevate, put more importance on left brain functions. So the more analytical stuff. We like, we like you know, logic and propositional truth and things like that. And then we subordinate the relational side of life to that. We put that as kind of number two. Not all cultures do this, but pr- predominantly speaking, the culture that at least I come out of does do that. I mean, just consider the fact that like the centerpiece of worship is the sermon, which generally tends to be like propositional logic and truth and dissemination of information, that kind of thing. Like this is how we do discipleship today. It's that. It's listening, you know, or memorizing Bible verses and things. None of that's bad, okay? None of that's wrong. I'm just saying this is the order we tend to put things in. If, if, if you miss church and you want to catch up, what's that mean? Well, you listen to the sermon on the podcast. That, that's kind of what it is. It wouldn't cross our minds to say, I miss church this week. I need to get with my church family and encourage one another and be encouraged. That's, that's catching up from missing church. You know, that, that's not where we usually tend to go because we tend to prioritize these left brain analytical things, that side of life. Now, let's be honest. Um, during COVID, uh, church was online, you know, for a while. Um, And who among us did not think at some point, this is pretty cool? I I sure thought it. I was like, so, this is what they call a weekend. I haven't had one of these in years. (laughs) 
It's pretty cool. I, I liked it. You know, I see what all fuss is about now. But man, I'm not sure how much we reckon with like the, the, the relational, the spiritual toll that that took on us. And that was necessary. I understand. It was necessary. There's a deadly virus and we didn't know what to do and it, it was necessary. But that doesn't negate the fact that, oh, was it detrimental to us spiritually? And look, I've been in ministry for 16 years now. I can tell you, I've, I've, so I've done a lot of ministry before the pandemic, a lot of ministry after the pandemic, and I can tell you something happened. Something changed through that time. We've not recovered. The isolation and whatever the effects of it were are still with us. Mental health is through the roof right now. Challenges are through the roof. Getting people to engage with church or with the community. It's like I've used the analogy of trying to get a teenager out of bed. Like it's just, it's just harder. Something's changed. And see what's happened is even more than before, deep relational bonds have been secondary, have become secondary now. In other words, I'd say it this way. Uh, the, the stuff that I can only get by showing up is less important to us. The stuff that I can get by not showing up is primary. You know, catching up online, watching the video. Like that's, that stuff is where we tend to understand is like that's the core of church experience. But no, the stuff that you can't get if you don't show up, the stuff you can only get by showing up. In other words, face-to-face -face human presence and contact. We tend to devalue that. And it's to our detriment. It's because we have a fundamentally left-brained approach to church, approach to life. It's not just Christians. It's like our whole culture that does this. The bottom line is that we're not just transformed through information, but through relationships. And that's not just a theological claim. It's a scientific claim. Jim Wilder, a psychologist, he says, Identity is built by joy-bounded relationships. He's saying that like who I am as a person is forged in a social context, in my relationships, in relationships of joy. I become a healthy and whole and integrated human being. Do you know that your brain lights up simply when you see a, a face smile at you? Like there's, there's stuff happening up here simply by the image of a person smiling at you. We are hardwired to come alive at the image of another face. And when that face looks at us and somehow communicates to you, hey, I'm happy to see you, whether it's through a smile or through a twinkle in the eye or any number of tiny little micro gestures that, that we can subconsciously pick up, like that does something in our brains that we need. That is what creates people who are emotionally stable and mature, who can regulate well, who know how, like who they are in life. That's where that comes from. Newborn babies can really only see about 12 inches away. That's all they need to see, though, because it's enough for them to see the smiling face of the person holding them. And in the early years of life, our brains are developing so rapidly and making all these connections, and that's one of the crucial things that we all need in order to develop and to be healthy. See, our brains have facial recognition software that causes them to light up when we see a smiling and familiar face. Look, the stuff Paul's 
urging his congregation towards is stuff that science has literally affirmed. The biblical writers, they got, they got here long before modern science did. Whenever our English Old Testament talks about uh, being in God's presence, you know, the literal Hebrew word most of the time in that is, is God's face. Being in God's presence is to be before the face of God in the Hebrew. We don't say that because that, we don't get that. It's weird being in God's face. But presence, that makes sense. But no, the Hebrew would say before the face of God. That's what it means to be in God's presence. Psalm 21.6, surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Read, the joy of your face. In other words, he, you have, God has made the king glad with the joy of his smile. That's what it's saying. Psalm 140.13, the upright will live in your presence? No. The upright will live before your face, before your smile. The righteous will live by the face of God. And of course, the classic benediction, right? May his face shine upon you and give you peace. This is a reminder, like we are formed in relationship. Joy and identity are formed in close proximity to God and to others. And it's the kind of proximity where we literally see each other's face. But look, we live in a low joy Culture. We are driven by the obligations that we must fulfill by the time uh, that we've got, and by the time we've got space for community, like we're tired, you know? It's complicated, got to get all the kids in the van, you know, and it's cold out, so everybody needs a coat. Like, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. We just want to, we just want to sit on the TV, sit on the, sit on the TV. We just want to sit on the couch and watch TV. And we do meet with people, it's often on Zoom, and everybody kind of turns off their camera, you know, and uh, even when the camera's on, like I said, little micro gestures, little expressions that, that we subconsciously pick up on and that, that, that tell us, that communicate so much to us, you can't pick up on those as well, electronically, because actual face-to-face -face relationship is what we really need. And that's, this is why church matters. When done right, the church should be a built-in joy factory where you come and you see people who you know, who know you, who you love, who love you, who know your stuff, who've been there for you. You're like, in this place, I'm loved, I'm safe. That's how we grow. That's how our brains get the power to be transformed in the image of Christ, or as Paul says, the fullness of Christ, the full measure of maturity. So the bottom line is that, that you need others and others need you. Together, we are closer to achieving what Paul calls the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But when we isolate ourselves, not only is it impossible to grow in our faith, but it puts us in the devil's crosshairs. I mean, think about this. Like, the devil was able to lie to Eve once he got her alone, you know? Like, David's sin with Bathsheba started when he was alone. John Mark Comer says that the devil's strategy is always to isolate then lie. That's a strategy. And I've seen it so many times in church when, when somebody starts to disconnect, you know, that's always a sign that something's spiritually wrong. 10 out of 10 times. That's an indication. You know, I've never met somebody who, you know, slowly kind of fades from the community and I eventually get together with them for lunch or coffee and see what's going on. And they're like, oh, I'm thriving in my walk with God. Oh boy, let me tell you, it's never happened. It's never happened. 
Isolation is the enemy of our mental health and our soul. And I'm, I'm not saying that we can never be alone, but look, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude is a spiritual practice that we engage in purposefully, intentionally, uh, in order to connect with God. And it's always got this turning point where we enter back into community. Isolation is just kind of where we cut ourselves off from communities, I don't know, simply because we don't want to, for one reason or another, don't want to deal with it. To grow in Christ, you need others, and others need you. Jim Wilder talks about this Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed. Everyone say it with me, ready? Hesed. I just feel like we need to wake up a little bit. It's cold in here. Let's go. Hesed. You know what hesed means? It's a really hard word to translate into English, but older translations will use the word loving kindness, God's loving kindness, which is a beautiful word, I think. Um, it's, it's like God's covenantal love. Covenantal love. It's the kind of love where it's not like just I choose to love you, you know, I'm attracted to you and I think you're great, so I'm going I'm to say I love you. Covenantal love is like I'm going to bind myself to you and I can never remove it. That's a covenant. Like covenants are these permanent binding actions. And God's hesed means that he has bound himself to us in love. And so it's, it's so much more powerful than any other word we have in English. And, you know, the closest analogy we'd have would be marriage. But, you know, marriages come and go so much. It's not even a very good illustration of that. Like hesed is God's just like covenantal love for us. He's not going anywhere. He loves you with an undying, eternal, committed kind of love. Psalm 23 says, surely goodness, that's tov, and loving kindness, that's hesed, will follow me all the days of my life. I love this image of God's goodness and hesed, his loving kindness and his goodness, like following me, like wherever I go. I can run and hide, you know what I mean? I can try to get away from God, but it, it, like, it follows me. Like my kids walking around following me when I'm trying to get alone, you know what I mean? Like they, I can't get away from it. God's hesed love is constant. I can't outrun it. And that's what the church should be like. That's what we all need to survive. And if humans, if, if we had a dashboard that could measure our hesed level, like our gauge would be on E. We are low joy, low hesed culture. We just don't do community very well today. Urban sprawl means that we live 25 minutes apart instead of five minutes apart. The changing economic terrain means that we move far from family for work. Architecture today puts porches on the back of the house instead of the front, so we don't ever see our neighbors. We've got electric garage door openers. We can pull in the garage, close it behind us, and never see a soul. You know, like we are, we our environment is built for isolation. The digital revolution makes it convenient not to see each other. Like being wealthy in a capitalistic culture gives us easy access to mind-numbing methods of passing the hours at night. Screens are joy-killing joy -killing devices, by the way. Whatever relational, jo whatever relational um, joy we receive from being with others, screens like do the opposite of that. The bottom line is that the community we need is still available. We just have to work more for it. Okay? But you need a community of hesed. And look, we named this church Table Church because we want to have this, this face-to-face -face kind of hesed community. We want that to be what we are. That's what we're trying to build and grow here. This is what our second core value, create belonging, is all about. 
So the, the practical takeaway for this sermon is simple. It's, it's this. I, I'm asking you to inconvenience yourself for the community. Not for the sake of the institution, but for the sake of your own soul. For the sake of your own health. Don't withdraw. And I know it's hard. Getting the kids packed up is hard, you know. Ask Natalie Wiseman. This woman has been doing it every Sunday for like 11 years since Bella was born without me there because I'm always at church, you know. It's hard. Oh, man, but we need it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So start by showing up. Um, and once a month it probably isn't enough. Just when you're serving probably isn't enough. Um, look at people in the eye. Smile at them. Tell them you're glad to see them and mean it. Realize that they're glad to see you. Realize that you, you, you actually have a place that matters here. That I need you. We need each other. Your presence here is of utter importance. I don't just mean here on Sunday morning. I mean in the community, in the body. You know, another thing, uh, join a table group. This is why we do this. Um, we got lots of options. You can, you can start a table group too. Um, the thing I want us to be free of is to feel like we need a plan and like uh, here's what we're going to do in this group. Like no, just being together. Like let's just start there. Just being together is enough. We just need to be together. You know, play board games. Start a board game table group. That's like a, that'd be a Hesed factory, you know what I mean? Like, that'd be awesome. Get with people and simply, for the joy of being together, we have to make ourselves do the things that other cultures do just naturally. And we don't do so well. So here's the challenge today. is this. Aggressively choose connection. Be ruthless about it. Inconvenience yourself for it. Be like, ah, yeah, the kids might step a little bit past their bedtime. Yeah, but we're with our church. We're with people. We need it. We need it. Because to grow in Christ, I literally need to see your face. You know what I mean? And I'm sorry to say it, you need to see mine. And look, everything is there for you. Here. Everything is there for you if you want it. We've, we've got it. We've got it. This is an incredible community that God is forming here. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like, if something happened to me and I could no longer be pastor for you, I'd be like, all right, guess I'm going to table church then, you know? Like, I love this community. It's amazing. Everything is here for it. Um, Megan talked about our Christmas open house earlier, and uh, that was last year one of the most high Hesed moments for me. Like, it was just incredible. And so I, I encourage you to, to sign up on your connection card and to make it a priority to be there at that. Uh, because it was just a blast, just a chance to hang out with your, fam your church family and, and celebrate the goodness of what God has done. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, um, we know that a lot of stuff I said today, um, many of us already have it, you know. That's great. Um, but, Lord, I, I, I suspect that there are some who know that they're not leaning in, they're leaning away. And the danger of this message is that it would just feel kind of self-promotional, like, oh, sure, the preacher's telling everybody to come to church. And um, 
I hope the work and the effort I've put into trying to illuminate the biblical and even scientific foundations for this will help us understand this isn't just, this isn't for me. This is because I think God is what you've called us to and it's really genuinely what we need and we don't do it perfectly, but Lord, we do it. And we do it well, I think. And so, build in us said joy. Build in us uh, the kind of community, Lord, where people can enter and know that they are loved and safe and secure. Lord, that, that as we go about our lives together, God, in, in, a, few, in year, a decade from now, we will have together a joint corporate narrative that, that we will look back on and say, look what God has done among us. And God, that's an amazing gift. And, and Lord, why would I want to hold that at arm's length? Why would I not want to be a part of that? God, I want this, when I'm old and gray, this to be my family and to be able to say, look at what we've done together. And I know these people have me because they've had me so many times before. And so God, for those of us who maybe are struggling with it or just don't want to, feel like we're too busy, God, I don't know. <laughs> Help us have that priority conversation with you. Because I'm pretty sure that we won't regret it. So Holy Spirit, as we sing to you now, we ask that you would be blessed and honored, God, that you'd move in our midst. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.